Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. I'm joined today by my podcast partner, Rachel Levin. Welcome back to the show, Rachel. Great to be here, Michael. Well, Rachel, today we're talking about grit. Can you tell us a little bit about what grit means to you? Sam Elliott. (laughs) (laughs) For those who don't know who Sam Elliott is, because there probably are listeners who don't know who Sam Elliott is. Who is Sam Elliott? He's an actor, but he's like your quintessential cowboy with a deep voice who looks like he's just seen and lived it all. Right. You know, and is here to tell you the story about it. So that's just kind of what the image that comes to my mind. You know, people who are able to persevere in the most difficult of circumstances. Well, it's appropriate for what we're all living through right now. And on today's show, we're going to hear from Angela Duckworth. She's a MacArthur Genius Grant winner, a professor, and a best-selling author all about grit. Her book is called Grit. And uh, she's in conversation with Kobe Fuller, who's the chairman and co-founder of Valence Community. Yeah. I mean, Angela's work is so interesting because she studies people who are these exceptional high achievers, kind of like you and me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the takeaways that was uh, inspiring for me is that grit, as Angela defines it, is this combination of passion and perseverance sustained over a long period of time and how different it is from talent. So for those of us that may not have as much of the talent quotient, really lean into the grit side. It gives us all hope. It does. It does. I really liked what she talked about stress and how, you know, you optimize stress. Because I know when I get stressed out, I feel like oh, I can't even think anymore. And she says, you know, actually people who are really high achievers are able to take that momentum and redirect that energy and have it have a positive outcome. So, you know, that's something to work on. <laughs> Well, let's jump right into the conversation. It's part of our Stories of Resilience program, a series where small business leaders share true and inspiring stories about how they've navigated challenging times. Let's join Salesforce's Senior Vice President of Small Business, Marie Rosecrans, in conversation with Angela Duckworth and Kobe Fuller. Angela Duckworth. Angela, welcome to the Stories of Resilience. Thank you, Marie. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be with Salesforce today. So glad to have you. And we also have Kobe Fuller. He's the general partner at Upfront Ventures and the co-founder of Valence. Fun fact, Valence uses Salesforce Essentials, our customer relationship management solution designed specifically for small businesses. Kobe, thank you so much for being here with us today. We're so excited to have you offer these unique perspectives both as a co-founder, as well as a venture capitalist. So welcome you too to Stories of Resilience. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here today. Well, we're excited to have you as well. So now, Angela, I know you have a really dynamic background. You started your career in management consulting. You're a professor at Penn. You have written this best-selling book. You're a mother. You manage a family. You also um, are the CEO of Character Lab. I'm exhausted just saying all of those things, honestly. I'm exhausted, Uh, too. (laughs) I bet. How you get it all done is really beyond me. But there's one thing that really ties, I think, your life to get so much of your life together. And that's this topic that you've written so much about which is grit. For those unfamiliar, define grit as this unique combination of passion and perseverance. And as you can appreciate, 
Many of the small businesses participating today have been in this grueling four month long plus battle, you know, and they're really trying to keep their businesses on track, but they're feeling very isolated and feeling incredibly worn out. And so you're the expert here as a CEO, a mother of two daughters, a professor. Can you talk us through a little bit about how you, these small business owners can really juggle their priorities when life can feel, you know, have them feeling pretty depleted and worn out? I'm happy to. And one of the reasons I'm really excited today is, you know, I study people like Kobe. Like I try to find high achievers who are, you know, in whatever they do, outliers, positive deviants, they're sometimes called because they're in the kind of the far right tail of the distribution. And then I just try to ask the question as a scientist, like, what are they doing? What are their habits? What are their mindsets? What were their influences in a project of kind of reverse engineering greatness so that we can all learn something and maybe, you know, get a little greater ourselves um, should we want to. So that quest has led me to this idea that one thing that high achievers have in common is this combination of passion for what they do and perseverance sustained over really long periods. And that combination of like, oh my gosh, I'm kind of obsessed with this. Like I'm thinking about it, not just nine to five, but I'm thinking about it like on Saturday and Sunday, like you see, you know, like I go to a neighborhood, I'm like kind of walking around, a thought comes into my head that sustained over really long periods of time, years, um, decades, and in some cases, even a lifetime, combined with being like the hardest worker and very resilient. I mean, these pieces together, passion plus perseverance over really long periods is not only a hallmark of high achievers, it's very different from talent. Um, And I'm not saying talent doesn't matter, but this thing called grit is not correlated uh, positively with measures of intelligence or physical talent. Um, So I think it's very different from, you know, some people would think like there's your potential and there's what you do with it. And I think as a scientist, I'm more interested in what you do with it. Got it. So now, Kobe, resilience and grit, as Angela just mentioned, they're two topics that you're extremely familiar with. And through each phase of your life, you've really mastered the art of juggling priorities and honing your own sense of endurance. You were the captain of the Harvard track team. You've co-founded Valence. You are a really successful venture capitalist. I'd love to have you kind of tap into how you've been able to tap into these experiences to contribute to the career that you've had, the successful career that you've had today. Yeah, and still trying to hopefully carve success. I don't look at myself as successful. I look at myself as always trying to just get to the next level. And I think the day in which I feel like I made it, um, I think it's probably where I'll probably start failing. And all of the experiences I've had over my life definitely have shaped who I am today. You mentioned being captain of the Harvard track team. Track experience and what I had during those years was pretty, pretty intense. Sophomore year, I still remember our team came in last at Ivy Leagues and people walked away from that meet, just their tail between their legs, totally shamed. And it was at that point where honestly, many of my teammates, they just quit. They actually didn't come back the next year. So I looked at myself like, what am I going to do? Am I going to just walk away the same way? Or am I going to actually realize it just takes whatever it takes to actually show up on the track and win and get to that next level. So junior year, 
I just worked really, really hard, spent more time in the weight room and on the track, and I got better. I got better to the point where I was an example to some of my peers on the track team to the point they wanted me to be captain. It's captain senior year, and I still remember that first meeting I had with the team where I claimed in front of the entire team, one, those opponents that I was have to go up against that year, they're going to see the back of my spice. So I put out the statement where they had to hold me accountable to that success. And then two, I asked them to join me in that. Like, let's try to do something different this year. And that meant that we all just put in the work, had that high level of intensity in terms of realizing for us to actually get to not last place, but potentially first place. It just took that level of grit, perseverance, and just hard, hard work, passion and obsession. Some of the things Angela say in regards to what it means to actually achieve the greatness you're looking to achieve. And we didn't get first place, but we still got third, which is our best showing at that point in over 20 years of the program's history. And actually in 30 years, if you fast forward 10 years from there. And for me personally, yeah, those opponents, they, they did see the back of my spike. So I was able to still succeed there. And it was, it was that experience actually that helped me realize that in life, whether it's athletics, professions, it's following these two boys I have, sometimes it takes what it takes. And it takes the work to put in day in, day out and loving what you do. And there'll be some points where your back may be against the wall, you may be tired, but you have to grind through. And track for me was a very, very, very clear sport where it's very binary. There's no subjectivity in terms of winners and losers. There's a gun, there's a track, go, and then you're your first or you're last. And to me, I kind of approach life in that way. So that's kind of what I think shapes me in terms of where I am today is an athlete mindset. What a fantastic set of stories. And I don't typically say this, but congratulations on the third place finish. It sounds like <laughs> you really brought the team up from um, last place to third place. And as long as you're winning, that's all that matters. So um, Angela, I want to talk a little bit about something that people are feeling a lot about right now, and that's stress. These are very uncertain times, really uncertain for a lot of small business owners and founders out there. You talk a lot about optimizing and managing our reactions to very stressful situations. And one of the things that I really want to call out about what you talk about is that we must first acknowledge these emotions before we can truly harness their power. And so what strategies do you have to offer for these small business owners? Because we are here to be of service to them in this Stories of Resilience series. How can we help them better uh, manage stress? Because they're feeling it from all different directions. Yeah, and what I will say about the signs of stress, I think will tie in somewhat to what Kobe was talking about, right? Like when you have something happen, like coming in last place or, you know, something potentially, you know, more personal or, or less personal, um, they're all threats, right? And um, the human body has a stress response, which is what we do in our body and, and also in our mind, uh, our brain, when we perceive that there is a threat, something negative, and we're like 
maybe going to be harmed. I mean, that's really what we're all experiencing. So one reason why we should acknowledge the stress that we're having is normal is because it is. I mean, it's just it, you're wired to have anxiety and to not sleep well and to grind your teeth and to um, have disruptions in your you know, desire to exercise and so forth. Acknowledgement, I think, is the first step, you know, and one thing that I discovered about really gritty leaders is that they are not invulnerable. They're not invincible. Like they, they're stressed too. Uh, they're highly imperfect people, it turns out, right? But what they're able to do, I think, is get beyond that first step, which is acknowledging. And then having fully understood that they're having a normal response to stress or to failure or to last place, et cetera, they do something I think that not everyone does. And that is to say, okay, what part of this puzzle can I control and do something about? Which is also why I love the rest of Kobe's story. It's like, well, what happened junior year? And you know, and then what happened, right? Because in the sequence, like, okay, acknowledge it. Okay, now I'm going to focus on maybe part of this puzzle that I have control over. Like I can go to the weight room, I can work harder. I think for all of us experiencing stress right now, we can ask like, well, what are the things that I can do? And there's nobody who doesn't have something they can do. And I think that is the most adaptive way. When I say optimizing stress, the research I'm talking about is mostly done at Stanford by a professor named Aliyah Crum. And she uses this very useful language. Many of us think about minimizing stress, but we should be thinking about optimizing our response to stress. Not that we want to have zero stress or that we want to have zero stress response, but that like when life hits us with negative events that are threats, that we um, may even use it right? And some great, great leaders think about using that energy, which is part of the like the elevated heart rate, the arousal, the sort of like scanning the horizon for um, fuel really to like, you know, take those few things that you can change and you can control and, and really do everything you can with them. I love that being able to use stress as like momentum rather than holding you back. Such excellent, excellent advice. Next time I have a sleepless night, I'm definitely going to be thinking about how I need to be using that to my advantage. So thank you for that. I'm going to take a little bit of a pivot here, Kobe, and I would like to have you talk about your experiences in analyzing businesses as an investor. And specifically, I'm looking to have you share maybe some of the unique qualities that you look for in either small businesses or founding teams as you look to see if they have the grit, if they have the passion, the perseverance to make it through and be successful. So would love to kind of tap into like, what's the secret sauce behind that? Yeah, there's a number of things that for me are extremely important with regards to how to make investment decisions. Because this is very much a people business, when I invest in a company, I'm sitting on their boards, I'm talking to them potentially even daily. So first and foremost, I want to understand like this individual, would I want to go on a long journey with them, go on a mission with them? For, sort of, for me, it's understanding, does this founder look at this business that they're building as truly a mission? Because mission-driven founders approach the aspect of company building entirely different. They look at it as a purpose, a reason why they're actually sort of existing on this planet to actually bring this product to market. And so for me, if someone's actually trying to start a business, it's more oriented around manufacturing capital and money and not to actually do some 
greater calling that they feel truly in their gut. That to me is something that is just a red flag personally in terms of what will happen when there is a bump in the road, when there's a massive pandemic where then they have to totally shift gears and think through what does it take to actually survive the next 12 months or so. So for me, mission-driven founders are extremely important in terms of who I want to spend time with. And the next as well is can I trust them with money? Can I trust them with a dollar? If I give you a dollar, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to go run and spend it on something silly? Or are you going to use that dollar and are you going to plant a harvest? If you're going to plant a harvest, that's who I want to actually share my capital with. And I want to share all my capital with because this harvest that can be created especially to align from the mission they're trying to build, can be something magnificent that I'll have the privilege to be a part of in terms of this investment process and journey. So for me, it's all about those subtle aspects of who's actually running the business. On top of the basic things like what's the product? Is the market large enough? Those types of basic mechanics. Those are things that you can look in any slide and figure out uh, if it's actually worthy of venture capital. But for me, those subtle aspects are what separates good from great. You call them subtle, but they're so hugely important and very distinctive in terms of a company's ability to succeed. So thank you so much for sharing that. So Angela, I want to drill down a little bit on the topic of teams and how important it is for teams to work together because a well-oiled team can certainly make or break a company, particularly if they're not working well together. So As you can appreciate right now, a lot of teams, one of the topics that's come up, you know, over the stories of resilience programs that we've done over the last few months is the uncertainty, the pressure that team members feel right now um, with everything going on, whether it's at home and at work. And so I'd love to have you give us some advice or strategies for leaders on how they build help their team members build that resilience that is so critical in order to make it through these coming months, quarters, and years, frankly, we don't know, right? And so would love your guidance on that. Oh, there's new research that's coming out of, um, well, Kobe's alma mater, also mine, uh, Harvard University. There's an economist there named David Deming, who's been studying teams, like what makes a great team player and what makes a great team. And it's hard to do because you basically have to like randomly assign people to like multiple team configurations. Anyway, he did all that hard work. And one of his conclusions is that a great team member is somebody who is uh, really watching for what the emotional you know, goings-on are of the other team members, right? So if you're on a team with four other people, you could be thinking 100% about the task at hand, and you might think, oh, that's the ideal team member, somebody who's thinking about the problems and like possible solutions. But it turns out in his research, and this is now also coming out of like lots of other people, including professors at Wharton, which is where I teach, that team members are very socially intelligent and they're watching for facial expressions and they're catching like, oh, wait a second, you're confused. We actually have to pause here. Or like, I don't think you're on board with this. I think actually that emotion that I'm reading could be frustration and anger. Like, So that ability to not only be great in terms of skill and knowledge on the kind of like 
the work of the work, right? But also having this interpersonal skill and especially being like inclined to try to read other people's emotions is really important. And I would add to that research, older research that says, in addition to being able to read facial expressions, like noticing the furrowed brow or, you know, the tightening of the lip, I basically you should ask people um, because as good as the most socially intelligent person is, like even if you're like the Oprah Winfrey of team members, you very often get it wrong. Like you think somebody's mad at you, but they're just tired because they couldn't sleep last night. Like what? So practical advice for building teams and leading teams is that you make it a, a norm that maybe, for example, when you start meetings, you somehow go around with a very quick, like, how are you feeling? And, and you create a norm where people are just basically constantly, you know, on some of, you know, of the same wavelength, I guess, about how other people are doing emotionally. Such great actionable advice. I know that that's something that a lot of teams probably did early in the pandemic, but it's even just as important to do it now and continue to do that in the future. So and it's hard, right? So- We're all tired. Aren't we all like tired and in a bad mood? Or maybe it's just me, but like, you know, these things that we should do are also kind of like hard to do when you yourself are fried. But yeah, it, it doesn't make it any less important. It makes it more important. Yeah, it's so important to have some intention around asking. You talk about like the nonverbal communications, but also just asking, checking in with people to get a sense of how they're doing it. So it's important all the time, but particularly important right now. So a quick follow-up on that. You have studied some of the most incredible like athletes and athletic teams, even national spelling bee champions. I, I noticed that you've studied them too, to really understand like what makes them gritty. And so I love to have you talk a little bit about how those learnings have helped you become a phenomenal leader and CEO of your own company. What have you taken? Oh, I'm not a phenomenal CEO, but we'll address it. So so, um, I'm not surprised that Kobe ran track. I'm not surprised that he did it for multiple years. I'm not surprised that he became captain. Actually, one way that I have tried to assess grit without asking someone to fill out a questionnaire that, by the way, is totally fakeable. So like, for example, thinking more about, you know, how you would hire somebody for grit or like, how would you know that somebody's gritty? I very often find that it is like evidenced by, for example, when they were in college, you know, multiple year commitments, often in sports, honestly, where you can track like real progression, right? Like it's not random who becomes captain and it's not random that you did it for multiple years as opposed to one year. So this idea that you could learn to be passionate and persevering in one domain and then have it carry over like, you know, because now you're running a VC fund or maybe you're running a company. I do think that is uh, very often what happens is that you learn, you know, a life lesson in one domain and then maybe with the assistance of parents or coaches, or maybe in rare cases, you figure it out on your own. You're like, oh, this is like also what it's like to run a company, or this is also like, you know, however it applies in another domain. I myself, I think, I think I am pretty gritty, but I am not a great leader. So I am the head of Character Lab, this relatively small nonprofit But um, I think one thing just to say, you know, when I was listening to Kobe talk about mission-driven leaders, I have that and I loved his list, right? It's like mission-driven leaders who are also able to take a dollar and plant a harvest as opposed to like buy a cheeseburger, I guess, right? Like, but I might also add to that, I think, and this gets back to like why I'm maybe not like, I wouldn't, I'm not a great leader. 
is that I think that you want somebody who really enjoys. So it's not just mission driven. It's it's mission driven and that you have to enjoy at some kind of like very visceral level, like what you do. I love psychology, right? Like I want to like read this paper and like I want to read it. And maybe it's a Friday night. I want to read the paper. I don't love being a leader. So I think the great leaders are mission driven by values and purpose and they really like this thing that they do. So if, if it's consumer products, they just really enjoy something about consumer products. So, so I think that's why I am not a, you know, a truly great nonprofit. And, and there's a, an executive director <laughs> named Sean and everybody reports to him. And I think you know, for him, that's where he gets his energy. So it sounds like in your, what you just talked about, you know, you talked about mission driven planting a harvest, but you also admitted that perhaps you have some limitations as a leader, but you brought in some really strong leadership around you to lead that team. So I think that that's certainly you can count it. Maybe you're like that counts, but you know what I mean? Like, but in terms of the inspiring leader who's there every day and like helping everybody be their best, which is what a great leader does. Like I, that, that actually doesn't give me energy. You know, maybe an investor like you, Kobe would say like certain aspects of companies like are exciting to you, but you'd rather be a VC than the person who's in the operational seat because of where you get your energy. I don't know if that applies. I would love to hear. That's exactly, exactly. I'd rather be on the side of the table versus praying the day. Cause I feel like I'd be a horrible CEO, but I feel like better to be on the side of the table helping multiple companies. Cause I also just get bored very quickly. So if I'm in one thing way too long, then I'm like, okay, I just, I just. <laughs> <laughs> so. Our next. <laughs> yeah, right. I love the power of self-awareness right here. So one final question before we uh, move on to like my favorite part of this session today. So Kobe, you have experienced grit, perseverance throughout your entire career, talked about track team captain, you worked in a startup, you're a co-founder, now also an investor. And so love to get your advice and guidance a little bit on how small businesses should push forward during these times of uncertainty. Maybe can you talk a little bit about you know, the place that you've gone to or what skills, attributes, characteristics you've been able to tap into when times have been uncertain for you? Yeah. And uh, I'd say right now we're in a moment in time of biblical proportions in terms of what's going on. It's hard to go to any resource or document or book that can truly help you understand how to deal with the complications of both emotional, potentially physical and health and financial stress that may be happening in running a business. So there's just two things that I've been leaning on very heavily during these times. One, basic principles that I've learned in the last couple of years through one of my friends named Trevor Moad. He's a mental performance and conditioning coach that's worked with the likes of Russell Wilson, Alabama Crimson Tide, and the likes. And he has a book called It Takes What It Takes which preaches the power of neutral thinking and really trying to stress that if you just latch on to this notion of neutral, which partially means just breed out all the negativity, that that'll help you actually optimize performance in a material fashion. And there's data that he cites in his book that suggests that negative thoughts have a 10x impact on your performance. And there's a multiplying effect if you actually articulate negative thoughts out loud. So the power of the spoken word actually is truly impactful. So there's a four to seven X multiplier effect 
on top of just the thinking of the thought that can result in there being, in essence, an effective 40 to 70x probability or increased chance of that negative thought or that spoken word affecting your performance. So for me, just not saying negative things out loud has a huge impact on my ability to optimize my mindset for success. So I've been applying that for the last few years since spending time with Trevor, and it's been critically important for me right now, given these trying times. And the second, honestly, in a world of, you know, where we're seeing sort of, this, you know, biblical activity, like I go to the Bible, I go to my faith, to be quite honest. And there's uh, every Sunday is going to now have been doing a virtual small group and listening to sessions, focusing on this notion of just when life doesn't work, you know, relying on faith, faith will help. And if anyone that believes in higher power, leading on that to actually better carry you through these moments, I found being incredibly, incredibly helpful. And the book of James actually goes through a lot of these actual tenets around finding hope, being patient, keeping emotional help, loving thy neighbor, being anchored in storms. These are all things that like right now, super relevant. So between faith and just practical sort of mindset principles, that's been the two things that I've been anchoring myself in, in terms of getting through these troubling times. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know that Angela, you probably have some Friday night reading now. Uh, I know I wrote it down. I was like, it takes what it takes. Did I get that right, Kobe? It takes what it takes. Okay. Got it. Yeah. I've heard of Trevor. We're going to wrap this up with a fun tradition that we have on stories of resilience. It's a rapid fire, so no overthinking allowed, but it's inspired by one of my personal heroes, Brené Brown, who is our second speaker on stories of resilience. These questions are really intended for the audience to get to know you on a personal level. So I'm going to start with Angela and then go to Kobe for every question. Does that sound good? So Angela, what's one thing you've let go of this year? Oh my gosh, haircuts haven't gotten one since this <laughs> That's a softball, Kobe. <laughs> I'll, I'll got to piggyback on that, shaving. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about a small business that you've supported this month? Mm, okay, I have been supporting my local yoga studio who's doing Zoom classes, and they're great, and they've been saving my life, so I'm trying to support them. I love that. Kobe? Uh, I recently bought a uh, jigsaw puzzle uh, from a company called Puzzle Huddle, which are jigsaw puzzles for uh, diverse backgrounds, diverse children. So that's something that I, I recently bought a couple of weeks ago. Fantastic. Um, what are you reading right now? Me? Yes. I'm reading um, like the guy who wrote uh, Crazy Rich Asians wrote this book whose name I can't think of. It's completely vacuous. It's like, that's what I'm reading. Love it. Kobe? Berenstain books to my children. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then last question, who inspires you? Angela. I want to be Carol Dweck when I grow up. So she's a psychologist who gave the world growth mindset and she's a Stanford professor. If I become half a Carol Dweck, I will live twice as much of life that I wanted to live. Love that. Going to have to Google her right after this. Kobe? I'd say honestly, probably the, the countless frontline workers right now that are just keeping everything running in this country. I don't take it for granted in terms of all the incredibly hard work and risk they're putting their lives into. So probably them. It goes without saying, thank you so much to the two of you. This series is all about being of service to small business owners and founders and entrepreneurs. And I can really say that the two of you and sharing all of your wisdom, your practical advice, you've helped us do that. So thank you again for your time today.
That was Angela Duckworth and Kobe Fuller speaking with Salesforce Senior Vice President of Small Business, Marie Rosecrans. We hope you enjoyed today's show. For insights into this topic and others, head over to salesforce.com slash blog for resources to help guide you through today's most challenging economic and social environments. I'm Michael Vivo from Salesforce Studios. Thanks for listening.